We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's Boys and Hodgson with the Mankind Podcast, podcast where we're setting out to prove that there is indeed more than one way to be a man. And a uh, fanboyish moment happening. So, you know, I'm on social media. I have to be for my job, right? That's the that's the lie I tell myself. I have to be for my job so I can keep track of what's going out there. I ran into Nick Pollard on Therapist Facebook, Therapist TikTok, Therapist Reels, all of that kind of stuff, and immediately was like, I got to reach out to this guy and see if I can get him on the podcast. So, Nick, say hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Nick's the people displeaser. Uh He's a renowned coach specializing in people-pleasing, codependency, and addiction. We're going to touch on all of those things. With over 50 million views on social media channels, he's become a thought leader in personal growth and change. He ranks in the top 10% of coaches worldwide. Nick was born in April of 1980. He had, uh, in his own words, less than ideal childhood. His father was an alcoholic, workaholic, sex abuser. The latter would later push Nick to his psychological end, which landed him in a hospital in 2009. After that, Nick struggled mightily to hold his life together, but could not, or so he felt, battle the mounting demons, and he turned to drugs and alcohol to solve his problems. And of course, it did not solve his problems. And roughly nine years later, he knew he had to make a change. He willingly checked himself into rehab and the people displeaser was born. Since then, Nick's traveled the world, learning and helping others and communicating his journey. His love for seeing people grow and the light bulb go on and then explode is what he credits as his drive in life. Nick has formed and sold many companies and been very successful in business. And I love the fact that he immediately then talks about his first entrepreneurial venture age 10 was door sales for his car wash company that would later net him enough money to buy fireworks for the 4th of July. Quote, mm-hmm. my parents <laughs> said we did not have any money. I knew that was a lie, but I went anyway. I have made my own money since. If you ask Nick what he feels the key to success is, he will say, do the work. It's not fashionable or even slightly pretty. Just do the work. He enjoys walking on the beach. If you have seen any piece of social media from Nick, you know that he enjoys walking. Working out and traveling, he spends his time with his two cats, Azula and Zuko, and reads and works when he is not on the road. Nick, so psyched. What's the work? <laughs> well, I mean, what a loaded question. Yes. <laughs> um, the ver- I, think the, I think the variant on the work is the coolest part of life um, because we all have to do it different. And and it's not to say that any of us are particularly special in the work that we have to do. Like our experiences don't necessarily you know, separate us from one another. It's it's that our interpretation of everything we go through changes across every medium, across every timeline, across every personality. So 
you know, where one person could grow up with a, a narcissistic father who was like mine and come out of it um, extremely workaholic and, and need to rewire their life to find more balance. In my world, it was I had to reworld, you know, rewire my life to find um, more joy. And I think the work is exactly what you think it is. And that's the problem. Like if I say to somebody, what do you need to do to change their life, to change your life? They're going to tell me, like they'll outline it for me. I'll be like, fuck are you talking to me for? Like, why are you on my phone? Like you're about to pay me an exorbitant amount of money for me to tell you to do the shit you know you need to do. Right. And like, I didn't have a coach. I didn't, I, I like two years ago, shit, four years ago, I was living in my mother's basement. Mm. I'm not kidding. Like I just got out of rehab. I had $0 in my bank account. I had $70,000 in debt. I had just bankrupt a company. Like I was in rough shape. That was only four years ago. Now I have my own apartment. I live in Southern California. I travel the world. I do whatever the hell I want. Like life is pretty good. And I was in, but I did the work, right? It was like, okay, what is required of me to, <laughs> if I want to not do this anymore, what's required to get to the next step, which was like, for me, it was, it was, you know, how do I get out of my mom's basement? Mm. That was the first step. It's like, okay, well, I could go to like, maybe I could do like sober living, right? Because it was cheap and it was, you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass, but it was like better than living with my mother. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to move into sober living. And that was like a few hundred bucks a month. And then the next thing was like, okay, I'm tired of this shit. I'm like, how do I move on to the next thing? So let me get back into my own apartment. How do I do that? Well, then I took a sales job because I've been a salesman my whole life. I'm like, okay, how do I do that? Well, all right, well, now I got to figure out how to sell this product. And I went and I did that. Right. But it's too many people see the work and they go, okay, what's the end result I want? They look for that end goal rather than breaking it down into the bite sized pieces. And I think that's where coaching and development and, and real thought comes is like, uh, it's not like, what do I need to do to be a billionaire? What do I need to do to be like, make 10 grand? What do I need to do to make like 50 grand? What, like, what's next? What's the next thing I need to do? And that's the work is breaking it into like, I know the big thing I want. Right now, how do I do that in a timeline that's actually exceeds, that's accessible, right? And, mo and most people screw that up too. Or they, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a millionaire tomorrow. Like I I read a study that said 78 percent of of kids graduating high school think they'll be a millionaire by the time they're 25. That's fucking absurd. No, you're not. No, you're not. I don't care what Andrew Tate says to you. Yeah. I don't care what Jeremy Waller says to you. I don't care. Ask Alex Hermosi. He, he'll tell you it's not going to happen. Right. Right. Your 20s are about screwing your life up. I need you to do that. So I know you know how to be 30. Right. But doing, <laughs> doing the work is all about patience and it's all about understanding timelines and, and, and the passage of time. And that sounds so easy, Right. And then I, I'll try and speak in I statements as much as possible. And then I sure. fuck it up with all of my beliefs and I fuck it up with all of the, the phobias and all of my neuroses and all of my, all that other stuff. And that's why I think I've really liked getting into listening to you at speak in two minute intervals. If that um, is because you debunk all of that stuff. It's just like, yeah, that's great. But what are you doing now? What's next? Right. Well, and you're so to 
and to clarify a bit, I didn't say it was easy. Yes. I said it was simple. There is massive simplicity in growth, right? But we complicate it with our own neuroses and all those things, right? So we take what is very simple and make it complicated, which then makes it hard, right? It's bad enough that it's simple and hard. Just make it less complicated and hard. <laughs> right? <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. And it's a scale question, right? And that kind of goes back to how you started us out. It's like, make it simple and less hard by scaling it to the next minimum viable product, right? If we're talking sales right. language, right? Sure. Who am I mm -hmm. as my next minimum viable product? Right. Who do I want to be? Next step. Talk about what it took right. for you to get <laughs> to the bottom where you were willing to start looking at these questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote a, I wrote a poem, not, I, I guess probably right as I got out of rehab and I, I can't remember it. Um, I have it somewhere, but it was about a, a friend of mine. She knows who she is. And if she's listening, she knows I'm talking about her, but we had spent the night together. Um, and I, I would say lovers was a great word for that. Um, I think I loved her then and she loved me too, but it was kind of one of those romantic moments where I woke up and you know, my days at that point, like I would get out of bed when my eyes opened. Um, and that day I woke up and she was laying next to me and I was shaking and she said, you look like you need a drink. And I said, I probably do. And she handed me a bottle and I took a drink and the shakes went away and she said, you okay? And I went, no, honey, I'm really sick. And she said, I know. And she was sick too. Um, she didn't admit it, but she was sick too. And um, she asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I'm going to go to the bar. Uh, that's what I did every morning. I woke up at nine. If I woke up when the bar was open, I went to the bar. It was open. So I kind of put on my clothes and I took a shower and my skin felt gross. And it always did when I drank like that. And uh, I was greasy and, you know, it probably smelled bad. And no, I just wasn't in, I just wasn't in good health. Right. And stumbled my way to the bar down in on Larimer street in downtown Denver. And I sat at the bar stool where I always sat and I ordered the things I always ordered. And, um, I'll never forget it. I was looking dead, kind of navel gazing at that point, yeah. <laughs> like feeling sorry for myself. And, um, I looked up and where the, like behind the bar, there's all these like mixed, uh, I think infusions like cocktail infusions and, you know, like strawberry whiskey and whatever. And the light was hitting them weird and they looked different. Hmm. And I don't know if it was the light or my eyes, but I shook it off and looked again and they still looked different. And the bar stool didn't feel right. And, um, my body was shaking and I couldn't force the burger in my face and like nothing was working right. And I knew that that time in my life had, had was over. And there was a part of me that was like, we dying or we, or are we, are we going to keep going? Cause if we're dying, let's do it now. Like, let's just go ahead and do it. Like we're dying. Let's just sit here and finish it up. Mm. Like we drink till we die. That's what we do today. Mm. 
And I said, I can't do that. And I called my mom. Um, thanks mom. And said, I need you to, I need you to come pick me up. I need you to put me in a detox center for medical detox. Cause I'm not going to be okay if you don't. Um, and I need you to sell everything I own. I need you to figure out how to get in touch with my leasing office so I can break my lease. And then I need you to put me in a rehab center. And she did. She put me in the New Beginnings Recovery Center in um, in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Um, and Mary and her team uh, at that at that place uh, saved my life over, over that 30-day period. Um, and that was it. Um, and, you know, from that moment, it was like, I was, I was one of the only ones that, that month that walked into rehab sober, mm. um, because I'd gone to, because it took me four days to detox four days. Like I, when I, mm -hmm. when I stepped into the, when I stepped in, I blew up 0.8. So the legal limit is 0.08. Yeah. So I was, you know, more, more booze than man. They actually asked my mother, how is he still talking? Um, and she said, I haven't the foggiest damn clue. And then went and I laid down in that scary detox center filled with homeless people and drunks and detoxed for three days. And they gave me Ativan and all the things to keep my, my blood from boiling, I guess, or whatever happens to you. But, you know, I hallucinated my way through it. That's not a joke. Um, and came out the other side and said, that was, that was enough of that. I, I'm going to hold on to the sobriety thing till. I get into, till I get into rehab. And I did. Um, although I did try to get out of it <laughs> a few times. It's like, I'm sober now. I'm fine. I got this. And she's like, no, get your ass rehab. That's what you said. Um, and I'm glad I did. You know, I made some friends there and got into an extremely toxic relationship that changed my life too. And, you know, just did all the things that you do when you're newly recovering. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, that's when I started asking the questions. Like, who am I? What am I about? Um, do I want to live? You know, how do I want to live? Because if I, if I was going to do life, I knew that I wanted more um, from it than just money and, and excitement, right? Because I had money and I had excitement. Um, and then, you know, eventually I did fall back into the money and excitement world. Um, and that screwed me up. And now, you know, I'm kind of doing my thing. So that's, that's the story of how it and would you say that, so what from that point, which wasn't very long ago and that bottom and that no. detox process, what made you push the record button the first time <laughs> that set you on um, this path? Um, I had hit bottom again. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in, in 2020, I managed to, I managed to stay sober mostly through COVID. Um, and, uh, so like January until like, shit, it might've been July, um, before I even had a drink again. Um, and before that it kind of bounced off the walls a little bit. Sobriety was interesting for me in the beginning cause I was really trying to find my footing. Um, and it, it was, a, it was a real struggle. Like it wasn't that I stayed sober, um, initially and, you know, I don't want anybody to get that misconception. Like if you fall off the wagon or you fall off the wagon or whatever the fuck the, the nomenclature is these days, it's like, 
so what? Like get back up. It's, it's not measured by how long you're sober. It's measured by how many times you get up and try again. Right. Um, and, um, I, I hit another bottom. I was in a really toxic relationship with a woman that, um, I'm not sure if the word narcissist is the right word, but it feels like the right word. Um, kind of a gaslighting, manipulative, super, super control freak kind of human. Um, and we ended up breaking up in January of 21 and I went off the rails for like three weeks. Um, I was just, I was a mess. Like you just screwed me up really, really bad. And so again, at that point I was like, I'm not going back to rehab. I know how to, I know how to fix this. So I'm just going to fix it. Um, so I, again, I sold everything I owned <laughs> and I moved into, um, I moved into an Airbnb in Huntington beach, California, which is, I've wanted to live here my entire life. It's where I live now. And, um, you know, with a friend who's, I mean, he's now a friend back then. He was just kind of an acquaintance, but I moved into his Airbnb for much more than I should have been spending per month and, um, decided to just hang out and figure out how to do life from that place. Well, I was like, well, maybe I'll start a coaching company, right? I could do that. And, you know, I did it the normal ways. I got online. I started talking about it. It's going to be a dating coach again. I ended up with one client who's like 76 years old <laughs> and she ended up, I mean, she, I got her married. So it, I mean, I did it, but like I always do. Um, and it was around March. It started writing a lot, like a lot. I've been writing, you know, wanting to write a book for a long time. I started writing a lot and I started to notice kind of a thread in my writing that I was starting, I had this belief system that I believed deeply in love and adventure. Hmm. Like deeply, I believe, and I still do. I deeply believe that love and adventure are the meaning of life. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not, I'm doing a lot of loving, right? But I'm not doing a lot of adventuring. Like, what, what does that look like? And I booked a trip to Costa Rica and I was just going to go for a couple of weeks. I'd never been to Costa Rica. And frankly, it was the only thing that was open. Because yes, right. <laughs> like immediately post COVID. So nothing's open. Um, so I booked this trip to Costa Rica. It was Costa Rica and Mexico. Were both open. And I got to Costa Rica. I was there for three weeks and then I just didn't come up. And I was on the road and I'm like, well, how the hell am I going to start this coaching company? And I just thought, we'll just start talking and we'll see what happens. And the one thing I'll say about my initial journey. And if you go back to my original videos, they're ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I did one. What's the flavor of ridiculous called, in your original videos? One series was called "Just the Tip" with Coach Nick. Oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had my daily meditations that were like, you know, fuck yourself. It's going to be fine. Um, it's like <laughs> trying to find my voice for months. And then I hired my own coach for, I think he's a, he would, at the point he was 18 and he was a TikTok coach. He was like, your videos suck. And here's why. And it was like 35 bucks. And I did, I took his coaching and I, and I started to talk more, you know, fluidly and record a little better and edit a little better. And, um, it's just gotten, you know, slightly better. It's only slightly better over time. Like it's probably 5% better than it was, but it's, that's a lot. Um, and at one point I realized I was, I wasn't talking to anybody. There was, there was a weird moment. I was in South Florida um, on a coaching gig and I kept landing like these little mini, like the universe kept serving me up pathways, uh -huh. um, which it has a tendency to do with me. And so it serves me up this pathway. I was like, okay, go to South Florida. 
And in this, in this particular consulting gig was, it paid like shit, but it paid for my room and it paid for my food. And it, it was, a, you know, kind of a, a menial shitty little amount of money, but it bought me two months. Right. And I started recording pretty heavily in South Florida. And at this moment I was walking around on, it was West Palm beach, but North of that, there's an Island where I was staying and I was right on the beach and I was walking around and I, I was heartbroken for another reason. And, um, I started to realize I was talking to me like that's, that's the moment that everything shifted was I was tearful sitting on my, on my porch, having a smoke. I was like, I'm just, what, what the fuck am I doing this for? And I realized my avatar was me. Mm. It was the, it was the broken down, wounded, sad guy that just wanted somebody to talk to. And, and, and I'm so sarcastic <laughs> and so playful with pain because I've been in pain like my whole life that I, I did this video. It was the real cost of people pleasing volume 15. I think I dropped it on December 7th. It was the first time I'd ever seen a million views. And I went from like having 150 followers to having 15,000 literally in one day. Mm. And then I was like, holy shit, this is possible. So I used the formula of that. I did it like a hundred more fucking times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the series was like 67 long. Um, and it was like this, that parlayed into the next thing, parlayed into the next thing. But, you know, I ended up signing my first two clients that December um, off of that one video. And then, then I didn't have another one for like three months. And then I signed like two more. And at that point, my budget was like, here's how much I need to stay on the road. And that's exactly what I was charging. Right. And then it was like doubling what I needed to stay on the road. And I'm like, holy shit, like I'm, this is turning into a business. And then after that, it was like, wow, I'm helping a ton of people. And then I'm like getting emails like every day from somebody saying I'm like saving their life. I'm like, what in the hell is happening? I'm just talking to myself. Right. Um, and I think that's the reality of it is I don't play a character, man. Like I, I, I love humans. I, I want, I want people to see that I'm in pain. I want people to see that I'm real. I want them to see when I'm happy and joyful. I want them to see, because yes. fuck man, we're all in this together. Yes. Like, especially men, like they see me and they go, shit, that's relief. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. That it is a relief because your videos are not nice, right? No. <laughs> you're not, you're generally not nice, but there is no. a, there's a feeling at the end of your videos. that's like, I've been seen there there mm. you understand like if you're your avatar right it's you're expressing what you've learned to understand so you're not sugarcoating you're not telling me what I want to hear you're telling me what I need to hear despite myself yeah. very often I'm telling me what I need what to you hear. need to hear yes <laughs> so what are right, some right. of the true costs so people who are listening to this may not know any of these true costs. What are some of the costs of people pleasing? <laughs> oh my God. Well, um, this will make me unpopular. You're going to get comments. So, you know, brace yourself. Here I am. But, um, people pleasing isn't much more than being a liar. So think of the cost of being a liar and you're going to know the costs of people pleasing. Right. You devalue your integrity. Your yes means nothing. You never show up for your 
for your commitments. You disrespect yourself. You put everyone first, but you, there's no space in a liar's life. There's no space for them. And it, it is, it sucks, man. And that, you know, and people talk about it like, well, you know, I don't have any boundaries. So you lie. Because you do have boundaries. Everyone has boundaries. You choose not to stand up for yourself because you're afraid. And, and that fear causes you to be dishonest. Dishonesty almost universally, unless you're a psychopath, comes from fear. So don't, and dude, if I get on the phone with especially guys, like the people pleaser guys that I work with one-on-one, they'll say, I'm mostly honest. So you're semi-dishonest, which means you're dishonest. You can't be one of, like, unless we're talking about fucking Santa Claus here and your kids, there's there's lines, right? And you know when you're lying. And that's the cost. The cost is, think of the cost of being a liar. And that's what it costs to be a people pleaser. People don't trust you. You can't create connections. Your friendships are all shallow. Um, like, you don't get invited to barbecues. Your boss kind of likes you, but you never really get promoted as, way, as fast as you want. Probably really great if you're in sales, but you never get the jobs you want. Mm. Right? Generally, you land in middle management making one hundred and fifty dollars to $250,000 a year if you're in corporate America. If you're in, if you're in business for yourself, generally, you hit, a, you hit a plateau in the business where you burn out because you're giving everybody everything all the time to try and keep everyone happy rather than running your company. And telling people what their expectations are. You have high turnover if you're an entrepreneur. It sucks. How long does it hurt when I stop? stop? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> when you stop, how long does it hurt? Yeah. Um, life immediately gets worse. Immediately. Like, but it, but it's funny because I say that, but it even that may not be fully accurate. So I recently worked with a really cool guy um, who admitted to me on his first call with me, like on his discovery call, he's like, I lie my ass off, bro. Mm. And I'm like, cool. cool. Welcome. <laughs> You're <laughs> in the right we place. We're starting, right? <laughs> um, at least when we know what we're doing. So we started on this like <clears throat> this 10 week path of like brutal honesty. And immediately said, there has been almost no change. And I was like, interesting. Like that's, I would have thought it would have been different. This is kind of, this was kind of a new way of doing it for me. Cause I wanted him to really accelerate, accelerate and get what he wanted. He's like, it, like there's some lies that are coming, like that I've told that I'm going to have to own up to. And those may hurt, but this initial like brutal honesty has simplified my life by tens of thousands of percent. Yes. And he said, it, it, when he said that to me, I was just kind of blown away. And he says, you know, like my girlfriend said, I really appreciate how forthcoming you've been. My boss said they noticed that I was getting a lot more done. My schedule is so much easier to manage. I don't help everybody with a bunch of bullshit. He's, he said to me at one point, he's like, I feel like I have a hobo pack full of shit that I have to do on my back all the time. That has just gone away. Because rather than saying yes, when somebody's like, hey, can you help me go buy a car this weekend? He goes, no, I cannot. I don't have the bandwidth for that. 
And then they're like, oh, okay, well, could you help me later? And he's like, sure. And and what did they do? What people always did with him it was like, okay, cool. Would you follow up with me at the end of the month and remind me? And he's like, no, I will not. This is your responsibility. If you want me to help you, call me at the end of the month. He's like, a weird thing keeps happening is everybody seems to sort it out without me. So what is the second cost of being a people pleaser? The second thing you have to understand about being a people pleaser, right? It's all ego based. Yes. You're not that fucking important. Right. Men love to feel important. Right. We manufacture these stories about who we are and how special we are. And so often we aren't. We're just dudes. But we're just dudes on the bus. Yes. And yeah, ego based. What you just said. It's funny how people seem to work this shit out for themselves when I'm clear with what I will do and Mm -hmm. what I won't do, which then immediately leads to, but wait, I've set my entire life up around this sense of self-importance because when I say I'll do things for people and they get hooked on me and then they're depending on me for blah, 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 blah. Oftentimes emotionally Uh reinforcing their bullshit stories that they don't want to let go of for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, how long is it bad after you quit? Varies, but you know, usually it's a short period of time, frankly, like realistically, it's actually very short because people initially you're going to feel the pain of it initially is that people will abandon you relatively quickly. Like when they realize you're not the yes man and the placative, you know, guy and you're not going to do everything everybody wants all the time and you, you lose a few people and and they're people you thought were your friends you go through this as an alcoholic too by the way like i thought all the bartenders downtown loved me they couldn't give a fuck whether i live or die right um they i mean maybe because i tipped them but other than that i mean they're, so they're missing like 20 bucks a day between their team i'm sure they're fine um and it's very similar in the in the way that you know people pleasing if people think that their yes is like super valuable it, it's not Especially if you're a pleaser, your yes means nothing because most of the time you can't deliver anyway. Because you're overcommitted. It's not that you're incapable, it's over your committed. Yeah. It's your overcommitment. Hey, Boyson. Brandon, what's happening, man? Mate, I'll tell you, little one, my daughter, she is becoming more and more her. which is amazing. I'm just eating it up. But when I don't want to eat it up is in the middle of the night. (laughs) Four in the morning when she's trying to skip naps and I've got a lot of things to do. That's when things get a little tough. So what are you leaning on? I mean, how much coffee are you drinking these days? Well, mate, you know me. I'm certainly not. I don't like the vices. You know, I've been in the health space for a while and I, I get a little bit too hooked on those things. So I'm pretty grateful that we, uh, we had the folks at Magic Mind reach out to provide us and the audience some value with their Magic Mind drink solution. And dude, I can tell you, it is blowing my mind. What's it doing for you? Well, mate, I think the biggest thing is sustained energy. That's what I need. I need to have the same energy at 10 a.m. as I do need at 2 p.m. But when the energy dips and I've still got work to do and she's crawling all over me screaming in my ear that is when i need to be able to push through and yeah so i'm not getting the dips and unlike coffee i'm sleeping at night which is amazing 
yes, the ingredient thing. So that's that's me too. I've been a coffee dude for a very long time. And when I get into these spaces where I'm just working, 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 and I get too much into the coffee, I end up frazzled and stomach achy and jittery. What I'm seeing with Magic Mind is like, I've reduced the amount of coffee I'm actually drinking in the morning and Magic Mind boosts the focus without all the coffee downside, I think has been really good for me. And yes, the sleep thing, man, Some what, it, what there's some ingredients in this that have totally helped my sleep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, because you're getting the caffeine from matcha, which is an extended release caffeine as opposed to like an intense rise than dip. It's got all the fancy mushrooms that you know everyone's taken these days, including ashwagandha, which gives you that mass mm, fuerte kind of energy. And uh, they're up, and fortunately for us, they've offered us a great discount that us and you, the listeners, have access to to get 56% off your first subscription and 20% off a one time purchase with the unique discount code MANKIND. So if you go to magicmind.com forward slash mankind, you get access to this discount and like us, you get to enjoy the sustained energy, that mass fuerte energy. Um, I can take that to a couple places. So check it out. Yeah, and I need to get my wife to stop stealing mine, which would be great. <laughs> awesome. Talk to me about, this is something else I get out of your videos around kind of storytelling, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, right? But my narratives, but my history, but my background, mm-hmm. but my, but my all of those things. Right. What would you like to know? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, they're all bullshit is, is mm-hmm. it? And what, what do you learn when talking to people as you're doing this work? I think by the time people get to me, um, like if they book a call with me, they kind of know what they're going to get. I think they're usually surprised in that way though, like, because I'm actually quite empathetic and loving and caring and I I genuinely want people to win. Um, So that surprises people. I also see through bullshit really quickly. Um, But here's the thing about trauma responses. And it's such, we've taught, people shit on millennials and Gen Z all the time, especially my generation. I think yours as well. I'm, I'm Gen X or you might be. You I'm know, just a bit older Gen X than you. 71. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in 1980 and you know, I hit that Gen X target like barely. So I'm kind of in the middle, but um, we raised all these fucking. We idiots. taught them. We fucking <laughs> taught them. Right. We taught them they were all special because our parents treated us like shit. Now we're like, why do they all think they're special? Um, we created this leviathan of awful behavior. And, and so there's that component. And I'll come back to that because that wasn't your question. But the excuse monster comes from the idea that you're special. And because nobody's special, like really nobody is special. We're all pretty much the same, right? We're all kind of made up of goo and bones and some muscles and that's it. Like we're all kind of gooey pink flesh monsters and we are what they are, right? And because that's the reality, when you tell a bunch of people they're special all the time and then it turns out they're not, they have to try to find a way to be special. Mm. And the way to be special is through pain. 
because you can convince yourself that pain makes you special. It's, it's very easy to convince yourself that your pain is special. Right. And, and here's the thing, like I won't espouse what happened to me when I was a child publicly um, because it doesn't fucking matter. The only thing that matters is what I do now. And so when somebody says to me like, well, you don't understand. I'm neurodivergent. Me too. ADD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. What's next? What's the next thing? I'm dyslexic. Me too. I have a sexual assault background. Me too. Um, I was bullied. Me too. What is it? Like, what is it really? The fact is, you don't fucking want to because it's hard. And you don't get to be special anymore. You don't get to buy your lies. You have to decide that life is okay being hard and you just go do it. I'm not, I'm not special. Like, that's the other thing is like, I'm not any better. Yeah. Okay. The only way I knew all this shit is because I had to go to rehab to learn I wasn't special. I was in rehab with a guy who made a billion dollars. Fuck are you doing in here? And he's like, I'm not special. You put a drink in front of me. I'll drink it. I'm not special. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. The answer to him for, do you want to go get drinks was universally? Yes. Always. Yes. Always. Always. Yes. Right. The answer for me was always. Yes. You know, I say in my videos, I'm a recovered alcoholic, which means the answer for me now is mostly no. And sometimes yes. Right. I got lucky. Not special. Yeah. Right. But I also healed all my traumas. Talk. I spent months and days and years healing me so I could do that well. That's brilliant. That's an excellent uh, segue into. So I've been on this thing. What happened to you is not your fault. What happened to you is not your fault. But right now, 100% your responsibility now. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So your your choices are you either clean up the mess somebody made in your life or you leave it the way it is. You get to choose and you get to choose. Right. Right. It's either going to be messy or it isn't. No, no judgment either way. My buddy says to me when uh, he, he said back when I was drinking a lot, people would ask him, like, why did they have so much faith in me? And like, why do you put up, you know, why do you tolerate Nick being around? He said, if Nick wants to drink, he has a walking excuse. Like he has an excuse in his back pocket to be a piece of shit for the rest of his life. But he mostly chooses not to, and eventually he'll choose not to at all. Mm. That's a powerful fucking friendship, by the way. Mm. Right? That's somebody who had my back forever. That's, yeah. But talk about they, that's what's talk about healing, because this is something that I've been running into in our, in my work and in, in the work of the mankind project. And I'm going to have to get you captured on, on recording, saying something about the mankind project too, because that's just, 
legit. Um, trauma healing. And mm-hmm. I've arrived at a, at a point with in some of it where I'm, I'm just looking and I'm saying, you know what? That's never going to be healed. Sure. But you can choose to interact with it in a different way. You can 100%. choose to like, no matter what the actual facts of the matter in the case are that you have against the yeah. world. Sure. Your story is the only thing that's preventing you from doing something different. That is correct. So when you say I've healed my traumas, what does that mean to you? It means that I did the work to understand myself. And I'm, I'm a really tough person to trigger these days because when I see one, like if I have one, I lean into it. <laughs> I go right at it. And I just go sit with it. Right. And I sit in those feelings and I just let them go. Right. If you ask me how to heal trauma, it's like you can't heal what other people have done. You really can't. Like those wounds are those wounds. They're going to be there. Right. But you choose whether they're an open wound or whether they've sewn shut and that they've healed with a scar. Scars are fine. Everybody has scars. Right. Um, and I've got a lot of scars, man. Like I've been through some shit. I've been through some awful shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that I've healed, it means I've just sewn up the blood. Like I'm not bleeding anymore. Like, of course, everybody has, everybody hurts. Everybody, you know, my knees are blown out. My shoulders are wrecked. I was, you know, martial artist my whole life. It's not good. Like my body's not good. <laughs> But, but like, do I, like my, my thought is it's the same. If you treat your body, like you treat your emotions, right? Like I go to a doctor, he adjusts my back and my shoulder. It sucks. It hurts a little, but it feels better. And I'm able to go on with my day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Go and do like, likewise with your emotions. Like you make adjustments and you go on with your day. You can't like people say, well, you know, if, okay. So my knee hurts, right? Do I lay in bed forever? Because my knee hurts. Yeah. I, I don't want, you know, I want a sandwich. And sure, DoorDash will bring it to me, but they're going to leave it at the front door because, you know, COVID. So I'm going to have to get out of bed if I'm going to survive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to find a way. Maybe I have to ask for help. Maybe I have to pay for help. Maybe I have to just help myself. Maybe I've got to crawl to the door. But like, if it's a physical ailment, why is it that we can get past that, but we can't process our pain and trauma emotionally the same way? Never understood it. Right. And there's a move it and there's a, you have to move it, right? Like I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in incrementally big percentage, way better shape today than I was a year ago. Oh yeah. And physically, physically, emotionally, the whole, the whole deal, way better shape. And I'm a year ago, I severely hurt my back moving a fucking treadmill (laughs) to get ready to put our Christmas tree in. Like I had to move the treadmill because that's where the Christmas tree was going. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't even get to go get the Christmas tree. I was in bed. Like I mm-hmm. broke myself. Yeah. And now looking back on it, it's like, no wonder I fucking broke. I wasn't moving. Like I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't moving my back regularly. I wasn't flexing my feet. I wasn't working on stuff. So when I bent over to move the treadmill and I went pop, that was it. Right. Today. That was that. Two days ago, move the treadmill. Kendra, my wife, my wife at the end, she's like, that seemed to go really easy. I was like, yeah, because I'm moving now. So it's like right. easy. Right. Yeah. If you if you do the things like pick up heavy shit. And that if you, I view the emotional frame very much like like muscles. Right. I, one of my favorite exercises with my clients and, and my upcoming boundary boot camp too is um, <laughs> I like to make them say no to everything for seven days. It sucks, man. <laughs> like, sucks. There, there are rules to that game. I call it the no game or the game of no, right? But it sucks. Like, it's not fun. And <laughs> I hate just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Try it. It's super fun, right? It turns out to be really fun. Like, first day is really tedious. Second day, you feel kind of awful. Third day, you're kind of like, I enjoy this. And then by day seven, you've done so many repetitions, it doesn't make a difference. Hmm. Right. Then it, so the game is you can only play for seven days. You're only allowed to play for seven days. After that, you don't get any credit. No points awarded after day seven. You got to say no a lot. Right. But by day seven, you keep saying no anyway. And what do people. So what am I going to learn from saying no for seven days? Well, first, you'll learn that you. Um, there's two big lessons. The first is, is that. Um, your yes doesn't matter nearly as much as you think it does. Right. And which, you know, kind of parlays into you're not that fucking important. Yeah. And then second, and probably more importantly, is that a no is a lot harder. There's a lot easier to come back from than a yes. Wow. Say more. So. If you'd said to me, Nick, will you get on my, actually you and I did this. I think I turned you down initially. Um, you were like, Hey, do you want to get on my podcast? And I was like, oh, I don't really do that. And then you were like, you told me who you are. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You're going to do that. And you're like, Oh, cool. Great. Right. So no to yes equals hero. Yes to no equals asshole. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yes. Right. So yes, no chocolate starfish. No, yes, smiley face. So if your kids come to you and they're like, hey, dad, can I have a go-kart for Christmas? And you're like, fuck no. <laughs> right? And then on Christmas Day, there's a, go- there's a go-kart in the, in the living room. You, you a hero? <laughs> big, big time. <laughs> yeah. Bigger than shit, right? But like, if you say, yeah, I'll get you a, go- a go-kart. And then you don't. And then they show up and they've got like a scooter with no motor on it. Well, yeah, disappointment. Yeah. Right. So it's like we forget about it until somebody points it out. That like, Which loops me back immediately into Gen X. Here we are. Teenage kids. Right. Most a lot of us have teenage kids. Yep. And we've made ourselves assholes over and over and over. 
by saying yes mm-hmm. to things that we couldn't follow through on Deliver. or didn't right. ever intend to follow through on. Right. And now we're gaslighting manipulative narcissists to an entire generation of human beings that think pop psychology has a better idea about them than we do. And I get that. I, I would listen to the TikToker over me too. You know, my kids are, my kids, I was, I was, God, I was a shitty dad. I was just an awful dad. Mm. Like I really was like, I was a drunk and, and therefore I was, you know, my, one of my kind of core drunk competencies was dereliction. Mm. Right. So I was a great derelict, which means I was never there for my children. I didn't go to their birthdays. You know, I'd send a card or money. I was that guy. Right. Well, fast forward to sober me and I, you know, I go to their birthday parties and like, I fly in from California and I, I got a consulting gig in Colorado so I can, so somebody will help me fly there like once a month to see the boys. And like, I, I put together all the pieces so I could be their dad. Right. Um, but I'll never get to be their dad. Right. I'll be their father. That's a really good friend, but that's the price that we have paid. Right. And I think Gen X you know, kind of looping back into what you said, it's like, we don't want to pay the price of what we did. And you can see that in, in, you know, this, (laughs) like one more person tells me, well, you don't know what it's like to drink from the fire hose motherfucker. How about I just slap you in the face? Like we, we drank from a water hose and we played outside and we're tough. No, we're not. We're not. No, we're not. We're still looking for mommy and daddy's acceptance and we're still pissed off about it. That's why we haven't run for office. That's why our moms and dads are all still driving cars. That's why our that's why there's a 90-year-old as president. Like you, you want to know what would inspire me for Gen X to do? Step the fuck up. Run for office, please. Is there some reason there's an 80-year-old man running our country? Please tell me. And the, and the two front runners are 80 years old. Neither one of them can spell fucking crypto, yet we have entire economies that are relying upon that. And then we and then we cry because our kids are pussies. Yeah, it's because our parents taught us that there was no responsibility, so we don't take any. Hmm. So you want to know who works with me the most? It's men between the ages of 41 and 55. Why? Because we've realized that to be strong and to be kind and to be loving means to be honest. Healthy people ask for what they want. There's a 15 second TikTok that you just did right there. (laughs) (laughs) When you send me the video, I'll have somebody batch it out. Clip it out. (laughs) There it is. Yes. And the, a whole lot of the, we're the tough generation where the don't give a shit generation. I watch those and I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. My parents got divorced when I was 10 and remarried and then divorced again and then remarried and then divorced again. And then, you know, my dad did that thing five times and I, I've got the bona fides. I've got better bona fides than most of Mm y'all. Like I was, my kids talk about me being literally raised in a barn, which I was pretty much literally raised in a barn. 
in sure. upstate New York. I got all that. And then I look at the Gen Xs around me and feel this in myself and see the mirror and see all the ways that I project. And it's like, no, it's not that we don't give a shit. It's that we give too much of a shit and we've just mm-hmm. retreated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a difference between retreat and surrender. Right. I'm a surrender guy. Like I know what's mine and when it isn't whatever. But I think here, this is going to suck, but I think Gen X is the biggest pussy generation that we've got right now on the planet. What's another word? Scared little boys and girls who won't do something. Scared little boys and girls who won't do something. Yeah. I don't put pussy in there as a, as a word because other comedians have played, have played through that one. Sure. Much better, but yes, scared. Right. Yeah. I think we're just, did you ever see the movie, the ref? Probably, but it's a long time. So bring it back. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to, you know what? I'll send you the clip, but there's a, there's a clip in there of an old lady who said it was just a bunch of scared little boys that, afraid the world might find out how big their penises aren't like it's <laughs> the bottom line is like we created an entire generation of kids who want to feel something and now the millennial generation is having a group of kids that have nothing and now and, and we see things you know and i won't get into the you know the Jordan Peterson, you know, Ben Shapiro's and the, and the other side and like all that, like I won't draw that debate into this, but like everybody wants to feel special. And when you realize that's up to you to feel like you can feel special, you can, you just have to choose to, mm. you have to love you. And if you love you, then you're never alone. Then you never need anybody else to tell you that you're special my poor girlfriend, you know, she's used to, used to guys who need to be coddled all the time. I don't mm. need that. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm actualized. I'm integrated. I know who I am. Which is a huge place of responsibility. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have 750,000 people following me online, <laughs> which is by the way, more than a slight modicum of fame um, and more than I ever thought I'd have. And I was surprised. I I thought I was going to come back to the U S and be a roofer. I like, I didn't know my company was going to blow up. It did. Um, And I'm, and I'm in love with what I get to do and I'll do this as long as people will keep listening. Um, And as long as it's relevant, like if if I ever get to a place, I, I do have somebody in my corner that, and if you're ever, of somebody, somebody of influence in this way, have somebody in your corner that'll tell you when it's time to hang them up. Mm. Like, I think it was, I, I don't know if it was Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield or, or Muhammad Ali that said that, but always have someone in your corner that'll tell you when it's time to hang it up. That's a great and, piece of advice. Yes. And nobody's told me that yet. So until, until they do, um, I'll keep doing this, but well, it's, it, um, it's certainly meaningful to me. And I, I want to talk about TikTok. I want to talk about that, that world a little bit. Cause yeah, that's more than a modicum sure. of fame. 
Mm-hmm. What's that been like just in terms of, you know, I see a lot of the Gen X, the Gen X, the TikTok dad generation and the TikTok uh, therapy. Sure. They start to get together. They know each other. There's like some, what is that like? <laughs> um, it's funny, man. Like there's, so I don't know if you know who Logan Cohen is. No. Um, he's another TikToker that's bald and he's a certified trauma therapist. And he and I occasionally get together and like talk. Um, there's another one his name's Sven he does badass counseling I I, I, one day he'll he'll get in my way or he'll he and I connect which I would love to do if he ever if he ever gets there and finds me but um, I know he has a podcast too but it's funny dude like TikTok has connected me to more people Um, my my TikTok presence is is smaller these days um, than my IG and my Facebook, actually. If you look at my my meta presence, is is about two thirds of my following now. So I think I've got between those two, I'm you know a little over five hundred thousand. TikTok makes up you know mm-hmm. just under a quarter million. But um, that world was so funny. the The platforms are so different, mm-hmm. but my messaging seems to resonate on all three and it's all the same format which is weird like nobody grows on facebook that was what i was told like nobody grows on facebook i got 130,000 followers on facebook um and if i if i like rank them in order of hate which is interesting like tiktok zero hate nobody says anything hateful to me on tiktok huh it's all like right on brother love you you're badass Right. Uh huh. Sometimes I get the, you know, you're sexy. Sometimes I want to marry you. Like I get some of that funny stuff, but like TikTok is, is funny that way. And it, because that algorithm is, is only, it only shows you what you like. Yes. Right. So for me to stay relevant on TikTok, I have to keep posting different crap and kind of playing with the numbers, which is interesting because that parlays over to Instagram, which is my second. And like it goes TikTok, no hate. Instagram, some, some hate. hate. Okay. Some hate. <laughs> but my following over there is just blowing up. So it's like hate equals views at Instagram because their their algorithmic base is on engagement. So the more I get people to tell me to fuck off, I didn't ask you if I can curse on your podcast, but just bleep it if you can't. But yes, um, you can. We encourage okay. it. Um, so right, the more person the more people that tell me to fuck off on Instagram, the more engagement I get. And the more engagement I get, the more the thing grows, right? So when I I did one recently that I said um, overthinking, I said I was able to overcome overthinking when I realized overthinking was a myth. Yes. People are like, you're not an overthinker, you piece of shit. (laughs) I loved your take on that. That, (laughs) I loved your take on overthinking. Yes. It was so funny. Um, But fast forward that over to Facebook. That's a hateful group of humans, man. <laughs> God damn. They are mad as shit all the time. And I, and it's like, I think it's because Facebook will let you write paragraphs, but 
Dude, I'm I'm convinced people are watching me on Facebook from their laptops because it's like pages. I'll get like I'll get <laughs> I'll get a comment that's like this long on my on my computer. Wow. I have a 37 inch television or computer screen like this long. And what is the nature? Just, what's the nature of the hate? Oh, I don't know. I don't read them when I see them that long. <laughs> I, I see like the first you're wrong. Okay. Here's the, I, interestingly enough, it, it always seemed, this is something I found fascinating recently, just generationally and throughout you know, my social media journey is that when you love someone, it takes no effort. Hate requires explanation. Yeah. Look at my comments. I love you. Thank you. You're the best. You've saved my life. You're badass. Well, Nick, if you didn't understand the nuances of how the blah, 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 blah. The minute I see it's a paragraph long, there's only one person that writes me nice paragraphs. Her name is Kathy. <laughs> and, she, and she comments on everything I do. Um, I think it's Kathy. I'd have to look. But I think it's Kathy and she's an older lady. And she's like, Brother Nick is how she starts them all. I read every one of hers. Because I love her to death and I like, she's so funny. Um, and just so kind. I feel like she wants to make me a pie, right? Like I'm, she's the kind of person that would make you an apple pie just because like you moved in the neighborhood. So I listen, I, I read hers, but everything else, if it's like a paragraph, I'll read like the first sentence. It'll be like, oh, hey. And I just put in too long, didn't read. Right. Like TLDR. TLDR. Bye. bye. Yep. My other one is um, you're thinking a lot more about me than I am about you. Yes. Yes, which is something that I also find re- refreshing about. It's the not special message. It's just a, a kind of reframe. Like nobody really gives a shit about me. Hmm. So why restrain myself for fear of what they will think? Right. Yeah. I think it was uh, Emerson. I believe it was Emerson. No, you know, it was Delano Roosevelt. Um who said you'd be far less concerned with what other people thought of you if you realized how infrequently they do it. They do it. Yes. <laughs> well said. How should folks out there? Okay. So no, we've got it. I've got it. So to go and yell at you and tell you you're wrong. Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. That's the best place to do it. Best if you want me to not pay attention to you, go to Facebook. <laughs> How do you want people to find you and uh, connect with your content? The easiest way to do it. I mean, weirdly, I mean, you can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. If you just Google Nick Pollard, you will. I'm the first thing that pops up these days. So it's like you'll find the people displeaser. That's my TikTok and Instagram. Or that's my Instagram and Facebook. And then TikTok is just people displeaser. Um and I got lucky with that handle. I don't know how I managed that, but um, that's the best way to find me. If you want to, if you want to talk to me, um, go to my website, just nickpollard.com. Um, right now, I've got my Boundary Bootcamp up for sale. We're doing that, doing kind of a special deal right now for Christmas, and then we go into a full blown launch um, the week after Christmas. But I'll launch again in March, and then I've got mastermind groups and all that other stuff coming up. Um, Say a little more so- about the Boundary Bootcamp. For the listeners, uh, Boundary Bootcamp was designed as an eight-week experiential masterclass, essentially. Um, 
I hate that word because everybody's got a master class now, but um, the cliches work. Um, and it's not, <laughs> it's not a course in, uh, you know, like you're used to um, because I make you do stuff. So it's very much, I took what I do with my coaching and I created exercises out of it and then I put it into a course framework. Mm. Um, so it's very, very interesting and it's very fun and, you know, it, it's been life-changing for some people. You know, I just did the first one. Um, I guess it just ended. First one just ended two weeks ago and people loved it so much um, that they're coming back and doing it again. Um, but I mean, they're allowed to do it because once you buy it once, you, that's it. You can watch all my shit forever. I don't care. Um, you can join the lives, you can do, do it all. But I'm recording it live one more time. Unless I don't like these recordings either, in which case I'll record it live one more time. But um, I'm recording it live one more time. So this will be kind of, it's kind of slated as my last live recording. It'll be once a week. Um, and then, you know, you'll hear more about my life. You'll hear more about who I am and, and why I do it the way I do it. But it's about learning what boundaries are and creating a bill of rights that is your living document mm. as to how you function in the world. Because people don't realize that. Boundaries aren't about rules for other people. They're right. rules for you, right? It's a delineator between what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate. If you know that, like, then you can create guidelines for what does that look like. And so, like, for instance, inside of my Bill of Rights is I'm allowed to ask questions because um, I've always had trouble asking questions. I'm allowed to be wrong. I'm allowed to have my feelings, right? I'm allowed to enjoy food, little things that life you process through and you, okay, these are valuable things that I care about. And I want to build them into my value systems. And you base your values or your boundaries on your values rather than you start to create a life rather than just a, a book of rules. And people don't, people don't abandon you because you live your life your way. They abandon you because you try to make them live your life their, their way. way. Yeah. Or their life your way rather. That's, that's spectacular. So, you had heard of the Mankind Project, and I'm just going to say, dude, I would love to get into a men's group circle with you sometime. Say when. <laughs> um, if MKP wants to put me in front of a group, uh, I'll do that for free and for fun. That's no bullshit. I believe in what you're doing. Um, I think that... Um, Men are hurting and it's our fault. And the minute we start talking about that, you know, is, is toxic masculinity a thing? No, toxic people are a thing. Um, but we've become so placative that we won't stand up for ourselves. Hmm. Is manhood bad? No. Can men be kind? Yes. Should men be dangerous? Yes. And uh, I see what you guys do, and I'm, I'm glad to know that there's an organization that's functioning in that way. Because men need help, right? But we need it from men. We have to stop listening to coaches of the female persuasion about how to pick up women. We need to stop listening to people tell us how to pick up women. We need to, we need to silence the Andrew Tates and the Jeremy Wallers of the world. And we need to put the mask over them so we can actually have dialogue that's real. Real and meaningful, you know, and 
listen, I don't care if it makes me popular. If Andrew Tate wants to punch me in the face, I'm going to lose. You know, if I'm going to, if I have to get into a, you know, a, a pissing contest with somebody over their money, then I'm probably in the wrong room. Right. Well said. And when you look at these guys online who are playing a character, they're just working you. Yeah. Right. Call me a snake oil salesman all you want to. I know who I am. I know exactly who I am. Right. And that's what I want men to know is exactly who they are. So if MKP wants to do something with me, you guys know how to find me. Nick Pollard, the people displeaser. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for an hour today. I, I am heartened. I am. I, uh, let me just like offer you a blessing, dude. I respect the fuck out of what you're doing. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I really respect. I respect the message you bring. I respect the integrity of the message that you bring every time. And it makes me just enough uncomfortable that I know there's work <laughs> for me there. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear, glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank, thank you, you very much. Really uncomfortable. Yeah, you're welcome. Uncomfortable um, in the right way though. Right. You know, the cave you fear to I enter. Never, holds I never the thought treasure. that's what like I would want. Right. I never thought that's what I would want. It's like when I write a post to myself, if it doesn't have, a, if I don't have a visceral reaction, I won't post it. Yes. And usually if it's something I really don't like, like I posted one yesterday that I was like, eh, like I didn't want to post it. I was like, nobody's going to like it. It did a hundred thousand views before I woke up. <laughs> like what the fuck? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the algorithm. I just know that like I wrote down something that I, I thought was cool today, which was, um, when I realized it wasn't that I was incapable, I was overcommitted. I was able to change my life. Fuck you, Nick Pollard. Because <laughs> <laughs> how many times do you sit? How many times, if you want to know what the video will sound like, it'll sound like, you know, how many times do I sit and call myself a loser? How many times did I tell myself I was a failure? How many times did I make commitments that I couldn't follow through on because I wanted everybody to like me? And then I, then I had this, this conversation with myself that I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could never get there. The reality was I just wasn't giving to me. I was giving no space for me. And because of that, when I realized that, I was able to take back the control of my life and to live the way I want. You heard it here first. Live creation of content. <laughs> I need to just start doing this yeah <laughs> i do this so much better in conversation it i you should, some of the gold i get out of my coaching sessions i'm like fuck what did i do what did i say um got it what if i could leave your audience with anything it would be that uh, growth is simple not easy but it's not complex so don't you know don't complicate easy when it's already going to be hard You know, like, don't complicate simple when it's already hard. Like, it's already hard. Don't put your shit in the way of it. Go do the next simple right thing. 
Yeah. To quote the parlance of AA, go do the next right thing. Yes. Brother, thank you. I appreciate you. And I hope we'll talk again. I hope so too. This has been the Mankind Podcast produced in association with the Mankind Project USA. And I personally want to thank our guests for joining us today and imparting their wisdom from their experiences in this amazing journey called life. Now, the fee for this episode is simple. If you found gold and insights that you believe could benefit your loved ones and those you care about, be sure to share it with them. And of course, remember that life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us, so long as we rip the pen out of fate's hand and become the author of our own story. So my friend, pick up the pen, and we'll see you next week. Lots of love.